Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello, I'm Rabbi David Rosen, and welcome to Daily Daf Differently for Daf 55 of Masachet Shabbat. The sages have saying that the Talmud is poor in some places and rich in others, by which they mean that the presentation of material is not consistent or systematic. Because it's an oral tradition, lots of the Talmud is associative and strings together materials based on ease of memory or one thing being mentioned not because it flows logically, but because it's part of a string of teachings that are always transmitted together. The result of all this is an extremely well-preserved oral tradition, but it also means they often have to go looking in far-flung places across the Talmud for material that is relevant to the topic you are discussing. And it means that some sections of the Talmud are extremely long and discursive, while others are short and elusive. As I said, poor in some places and rich in others. Our Dapim this week have tended to be on the rich side, with lots of material on both sides of the daf. This makes it pretty much impossible for us to cover everything straight through in seven minutes, so I've tried to pull out the main themes of each daf and examine a good example of each theme. Today, we're going to follow the Talmud as it uses the discussion about Shabbat laws as a launching pad for teaching about a completely different topic, namely the responsibility we all have for speaking out against wrongdoing, even if we think that speaking out will do no good. The Mishnah at the end of page 54b is a continuation of teachings about what animals can and cannot carry on Shabbat. Remember, we said that all the members of a Jewish household, not just people, but even animals, are commanded to observe a day of rest. The previous two Mishnayot listed things that may be put onto an animal that will be wandering around outside during Shabbat. These items aren't considered to be a burden because the animal benefits from wearing them, so they're more like clothing that the animal is wearing than a burden it is carrying. Our Mishnah completes this topic by providing a list of things that may not be put onto an animal that we know will be wandering around outside on Shabbat. One of these items is a strap tied between the horns of a cow, either for decoration or as part of a restraint that helps the cow's owner lead it around. The entire Mishnah is stated anonymously, which implies that all the sages agree with the rulings it contains. However, there is a bit of disagreement recorded right at the end in the very last lines of the Mishnah. After stating that a cow may not go out on Shabbat with a strap tied between between its horns, the Mishnah concludes with this line. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's cow used to go out with a strap between its horns, and this was not approved of by the sages. Right away, you see something here is strange. If Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah disagreed with the ruling of the Mishnah, why doesn't the Mishnah do what it very often does, which is record his opposing view? Why not say something like, for Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah hitir, that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah permits it? And why does the Mishnah tell us that the cow actually went out this way instead of simply telling us Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's opinion? What's gained from knowing that he actually acted on his opinion? Finally, what does it mean that Elazar ben Azariah's practice was lo biratzon chachamim, not approved of by the sages? Usually, when one of the rabbis acts in opposition to the majority opinion, he gets more than simple disapproval. Rabbis have been excommunicated for disregarding the ruling of the majority. Clearly, something is up, and it's the job of the Talmud to tell us what. On the bottom of 54a, we start to get some details. The Talmud quotes our section of the Mishnah, and notes something else that is strange in addition to the things we mentioned already. 
The Mishnah speaks of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's cow. But Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah was an enormously wealthy person. To talk about Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's cow is like mentioning Bill Gates' grant to a development effort in Africa, or Madonna's gold album. Why are you talking about it as though there's only one? In fact, the Gemara says that the tithe on Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's flocks was 13,000 calves every year. So the man had tens of thousands of cows. Why would the Mishnah imply that he had just one? The answer is that the cow with a strap between its horns mentioned in the Mishnah did not actually belong to Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. All of his cows never went out on Shabbat with a strap. Instead, the Mishnah refers to a cow owned by one of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's neighbors. This woman sent her cow out on Shabbat with a strap between its horns, and Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah never told her to stop that. So people started referring to the cow as his cow, or, in other words, a cow wanders around his neighborhood violating Shabbat without a peep of protest from him. That failure to protest, that allowing of a situation he knows to be wrong without any effort on his part to correct it, is what the rabbis do not approve. And this leads directly to one of the most astonishing statements about individual responsibility for society in all of Jewish literature. Following hard on the heels of the story about Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's failure to speak out, we get this. Rav and Rabbi Hanina, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Chaviva taught, Whoever is capable of protesting when members of his household are about to commit a sin and does not is caught up in their sin. Whoever is capable of protesting when members of his city are about to commit a sin and does not is caught up in their sin. Whoever is capable of protesting when the entire world is about to commit a sin and does not is caught up in their sin. Here the rabbis are extremely clear and straightforward that we have a responsibility to protest against wrongdoing whenever we see it. It's not just our own behavior we're responsible for, but also the behavior of groups we belong to and can influence to do good. One of the most remarkable things about this teaching is its complete universality. The rabbis jump from household to city to the entire world. Not only isn't our responsibility limited to the Jewish people, as it sometimes can be in rabbinic teachings, here the text doesn't even mention the Jewish people as one of the membership groups. I think that protesting when the Jewish community is about to do something wrong is certainly implied here, but I want to make special note of the fact that the responsibility is not limited to acts done by Jews. If your city council is about to pass a bad law, you need to speak out. If your country is about to make a disastrous foreign policy decision, you have to speak out. And if the world is doing something wrong, like insufficiently acting to stop global warming, you have a responsibility to speak out. And if you don't, you become partly responsible for the sin. Now you may be thinking, my voice is not going to make a difference. How can I possibly be held responsible for global warming when no decision maker can remotely cares what I say or if I say anything at all? The Gemara anticipates this response and says that even if we think our protest will not be effective, we still have an obligation to speak out. This comes in the form of a story told by Rabbi Acha, the son of Rabbi Hanina. Interpreting a verse from the book of Ezekiel, he says that God told the angel Gabriel to put marks on people in Jerusalem, which is about to be destroyed. Some marks were for the heads of the wicked and who, who would be killed, and different marks were for the heads of the righteous who would be spared. The attribute of justice personified asks God, why distinguish between these two groups? God replies, well, because one is wicked and the other one is righteous. The attribute of justice said, yes, but the righteous had the power to protest against the actions of the wicked, and they did not. God said, well, I knew that even had the righteous protested, the wicked would not have listened to them. To which the attribute of justice responds, with all due respect, if it was known to you, it was not known to them. 
at which point God agrees and assigns the same mark to the wicked and the righteous. I find this one of the most haunting passages in the Talmud, with global communication making us aware of so many wrongs being committed in so many places, how can we possibly hope to live up to the responsibilities to speak out in every case? It's clear that we can't. But just because we cannot protest every wrong doesn't mean that we do not have a serious obligation to speak out whenever we can. Who really knows when our words will have impact? Often, a silent majority is simply waiting for some brave souls to speak out first, and this unleashes a wave of protest that can change the course of things. If you take anything from this week's teachings, I hope it is this, a sense that we are all responsible for one another and responsible to one another. Speaking out matters, even if you are unsure that your voice will have impact. And not just on family matters or matters internal to your community. Your voice counts throughout the world. Others will join you in protest, but somebody has to start. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.